0: listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. I don't know if you've all ever been in a a place in a situation where you just couldn't stand the smell of something? Um, Is that you've been just overwhelmed by what you smelled? Like some people have a high tolerance for stuff they can smell. Some people are, since COVID, can't smell anything still, and it's a blessing. I have an extremely sensitive nose because I smell a lot of weird things. There's even a smell during the week in this place and in my office and in between. And I'm like, y'all smell that? Y'all smell that? I go and I put my nose everywhere and no one can figure out what it is. But smells have a powerful effect on the way we're present in our, even in our memories of life. If I talk about a certain thing, a certain house, you'll remember things, you'll remember certain smells. Like going back to your grandmother's house, perhaps you'll have these different smells. I remember when my oldest sister was pregnant with her first child I flew up to New York um, to see her, And shortly after I arrived, my sister Kathy said, Junior, I love you, but I need you to go take a shower, and when you're done, don't put on that cologne. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, it makes me wanna barf. And a few days ago, during VBS, after VBS was over, we had um, someone from our staff went into the other building to get um, an umbrella out of the usher's closet. And she came back, and, and said, there's someone sleeping in that closet. And I said, that's weird. And she's like, yeah. So when I opened the door, I had this just foul smell come out. And I said, what's that smell? So she turned on the light and she reached for an umbrella and there was a dude sleeping in there that had just snuck in. And so I was working, we were working right out here and executive pastor Teresa was like, oh, well, I better go check it out. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta go with you. I can't just let her go by herself. And that's what we pastors do, you know? We'll, We'll take care of it. So we went and I see her. She has a door propped open and she's talking, like no big deal, whatever. And as soon as I approach that door and I turn that small corner, I can see, I get a whiff. And it is nasty. And I just kept walking, like it was so bad. I kept walking and I, and I walk into the sanctuary, the, behind the sanctuary just to take a breath. And there's a guy on our team, Guillermo, he's out there vacuuming and he sees me, he stops and he walks towards me and he gets a whiff of what's behind me. And immediately, I I look at him, look at me, thinking that I'm the one that smells this bad. It was Y'all, it was bad. So immediately, I was like, it's not me. And he's like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm, like, yeah, sure, it's not I was like, no, (laughs) I promise you, it's not. There's a guy sleeping in the closet. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, so I walked over to the hand sanitizer, put it on, I was like, did one of these numbers, because I needed to try to get that stench out, but I wanted to make sure that he knew it wasn't me. Teresa stood there like a boss and took care of it. I was doing this thing. I was trying, I had to walk in and out of this room. I was trying to fully engage and be present, but it was really difficult. You know, if if, the reality is smells have a way of messing with us. If if you walk into a house and they're cooking something and it doesn't smell that great, the probability of you putting it in your mouth to eat it is very, very low like certain vegetables or spices or body odors. I remember one day, I, it keeps us from, from engaging. We don't even wanna touch it if it smells bad, right? And we, we want to get somebody else's verification if something smells so bad. Dude, you gotta smell this. Like, no, I don't wanna smell this. Like, this is why would I wanna smell it? You're about to throw up. I don't wanna smell this. But like, I remember I walked into my house after doing the lawn one day, and our oldest son, front row, was here, and I walked in, I was gonna give him a hug, and he's like, he just backed away and he's like, You smell like a Mexican restaurant. And I was like, I was like, Thank you. It's a Costa Rican restaurant. Thank you. Man. Um, but our senses are powerful. And they're the primary way, not the only way, but one of the main ways that we connect and interact and process the world and everything around us. <clears throat> Societies have changed and evolved in the way they utilize their senses. So for instance, in the 19th century, people who liked to go to the museums felt very comfortable not only touching the artifacts that were there, but they would lick them as a way to interact with whatever's there. Imagine going to the museum of fine arts and be like, just just hey, I just wanna check it out. Like, it's a thing we do now. But this was socially acceptable. What I like about scripture in life is that Jesus meets us right where we are all the time and invites us into a new way, doesn't leave us there, invites us in a new way of being fully present in this life. And Jesus uses our senses to show us different ways of imagining life, of thinking of life more profoundly. Mark chapter 1 describes Jesus' beginning ministry in, these, in dramatic fashion in this way. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And these words, the beginning, are echoes of Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God. And in other words, Jesus is doing something big. He's doing something extraordinary, something new. And Mark, also the author, utilizes this language you see all throughout the book of urgency. And we find phrases like immediately or at once, depending on the translation. And it's his high-action-packed letter giving us overviews of what's happening. So this first chapter is introducing Jesus right off the bat, skips the birth. It's the Messiah on the scene, ready to roll. And it's this fast-paced nature of Mark that he begins to mention the baptism, the infilling of the Spirit, being led into the wilderness for 40 days. Um, where he is tempted by Satan, he emerges now from the wilderness, full of the Spirit of God, full of power and authority, preaching and healing people and casting out demons. We'll say a word about this. When you read in Scripture the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, very quickly after or right with it is signs and wonders. They follow healings and deliverances all throughout Scripture. It is very difficult to have a true proclamation of the gospel and not have the other. Many people just want the other but don't want the gospel. And I believe they go hand in hand. One paves the way for the other. Very quickly, Jesus begins to to display his authority over the human heart, over nature, over sin, over illnesses, over afflictions of all kinds. Jesus is making himself known, his rule, his kingdom, his power to all of humanity. In verse 32, of that same chapter, it says, That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now imagine people showing up, the whole town showing up to your door because they have something, you have something they want. Could you give it, and how long could you do this? What I find fascinating in this text that we just read is that it says that Jesus healed many. It doesn't say that he healed all of them. I'm just say a side note. I don't know why on this side of eternity, when we are sick, we don't all receive a cure. I know it's part of sin and the brokenness and the pattern in which we're in. But yet all of us We'll receive healing in the overall, in eternity with Christ, when we're made full and whole in heaven. And during this time in Jesus' day, as they're bringing people to Jesus, all of a sudden, the people who were crippled and bound to their mattresses were standing up and beginning to walk around. Those who were blind were able to see The deaf are now able to hear. Those who were bound emotionally, physically are now free. The oppressed were liberated, and the depressed were encouraged. Their countenances began to change all over. And I think just picture this. All of this is happening, and that which people came to Jesus for, they're beginning to receive. Imagine the celebration in their heart, the sheer joy, just the sounds of people in gasps, in thanksgiving of what is happening to them. No wonder the word got out about Jesus' popularity and what was happening. They were craving what was happening in their lives. Lives were being changed because they had an encounter with Jesus. I believe that it's very difficult, if not nearly impossible, to have a true encounter with Jesus Christ and remain the same. And just be, oh, that was cool, and then walk away and live life like nothing ever happened. God has a way of connecting with our whole being. Mark chapter one continues and says that he, referring to Jesus, drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Things were happening in the physical realm while at the same time things were happening in the spiritual realm. As you read scripture, Jesus makes no distinction between the two realms, they simply are. Jesus was in the process of revealing who he was to all of humanity and he understood these demons knew who he was because they knew him And he said, hey, listen, I'm revealing myself, and I don't need you demons doing the job for me. I got a way, I got a plan, and you're not a part of it, so get out of here. I'm gonna take care of it myself. Now, what's interesting, what's happening here, too, is that people are seeking Jesus, not because they're wanting a Savior, not because they're wanting a Messiah, because they're wanting something from him. And you see this, this case is made in Mark and in other parts of the gospel that Jesus was sought after because of what he could bring or give them. They wanted healing, they wanted to see another miracle. Hey, do another trick. Could you walk on water again for, like this kind of deal that people are wanting just because it was kind of a freak show. It'd be kind of interesting to see Jesus do some other cool stuff. But these people that we see coming, what I find is that there is still a level of desperation within all of them, and they wanted to see Jesus. See, Jesus gives. He gives freely. Ultimately, he gives of himself. He says, I want you to know me. I want you to follow me with all of your heart, with all that you have, and I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you in a different person. But Lord, I just want healing. You will receive healing, but this is just the beginning, just the beginning of something new. Some just stop when they receive and go their way, but Jesus wants more. He wants to change our lives from the inside out. And in the measure that you and I are able to yield to the Holy Spirit, he's able to work in and through us. And I wonder, are you desperate enough today to do whatever it takes to get before Jesus? You're like, "Uh, no, I'm pretty good right now. I'm pretty good right now. Like, it's bad, but I'm not really that, it's not really that bad. Like, when does desperation really sink in for you? What will, it, what will it take? Because some of us are super comfortable. We want Jesus to show up in our lives, but we don't want Jesus to interrupt our lives. Unless it's not going the way we think it should, and then we'll cry out to Jesus, and then maybe I'll contemplate the idea of God to show up in some fashion so that he can fix this mess so that I can continue to do whatever I want. That's not the scriptures that we read. Jesus seems to show up unexpectedly, And invite us into a different way of being present. But yet I believe that when we're desperate enough. That we'll find a way to really make ourselves available to God. Because we've tried everything else. And there's nothing. There's no other remedy. There's no other solution. There's no other way to move forward. That will lead us to a place of desperation. God will use all of that to say. Then maybe now you will listen. Then maybe now you will follow. See, desperation has a way of driving us to do what seems unreasonable and logical and perhaps even risky. And in our culture, we tend to be risk-averse. We want certainty on so many things that we can't get certainty, but we want it. We won't even go to a restaurant unless it has a four-star rating or above from strangers. That's the certainty we get, and we get there, and it wasn't what we expected, and we're like, oh yeah, well, I want to yelp there, rear end's back, and Like we get in there because somehow we, want, we didn't get what we wanted. Life is very different. Desperation will lead us to cry out in a way we've never cried out before. If and when you are desperate enough, you will cry out to Jesus. He will be right there. He is right there right now. He is right here. But many of us are like, no, I'm good. I got things pretty under, well under control right now. See, until that day comes, you will continue to rely on your strength, on your ability, on your resources, on your network, on your strength, on your, on your way of doing things like you always have. But in the story, we encounter something different. Jesus was traveling in this region of Galilee, going back and forth. He was preaching and casting out demons. And then one day, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, will, if you will, you can make me clean. Now this man with leprosy approaches Jesus. This dude had the ultimate kind of cooties you can think of in his day. Remember when we were all afraid of COVID, what we did to stay away from people, we ran away, even if we thought that you were maybe like third person exposed, like I wouldn't even come around people. And we'd we'd, we'd just disband and isolate ourselves just because we were afraid to get something. We triple mask, we, we bathe and hand sanitizer and then sprinkle ourselves with vodka on the way out to kill anything that might have been left over. Like whatever it takes because I don't want any of that on me. We went to great lengths to try to stay healthy. Desperation within this man begins to birth a sense of courage within him that he didn't have before. See, the law prohibited this man from being in contact with other people. And yet, this man approaches Jesus. Hope began to take root within his heart in desperation. And I think that's what happens. In true desperation, in a sacred kind of desperation, hope begins to emerge within us. Notice his body language. He says that he was imploring that he came before Jesus, and he's standing here, and he is kneeling. He is groveling with Jesus. He is begging. He is sitting at the feet of Jesus. He says, if you can, you can heal me because I got nothing. I got nothing else to do. And I wonder, when was the last time you saw an adult actually beg for something? Come on, babe, get this. They're at Target. Come on, what's this, please. Have you ever seen somebody go crazy, an adult do this? We see children do this. Somehow the children are uninhibited but what it would appear like. But this man led himself to the place where he is groveling before God. He is begging for God to do something. It's indicative of his state of where he was. Some of us, the closest thing we come to begging is pouting. We pout to our spouse or to our kids or try to make them feel guilty or to manipulate, whatever it is, but we won't actually beg for something because our pride won't let us because it's uncivilized. Leprosy would encapsulate this word leprosy, even in the Old Testament and New, all sorts of skin diseases. In this case, when you read the book of Luke about this encounter, it says that he was covered in leprosy from head to toe. And I think we think of leprosy as this infection that is so bad in people's body parts that suddenly they just start to rot off, causing all sorts of deformities in the person. This commentator writes that studies show that the body's warning system of pain is what is destroyed. That this disease would numb their extremities as well as their ears, eyes, and nose. And the devastation that follows would happen in such normal, everyday incidents. They would drop a potato near the fire, they reach for the potato, didn't realize how hot because they can't feel it, and suddenly they have a burn. They needed water, they got boiling hot water, put it on their face, and now things begin to happen. They grab the tool, it's too hard, and all of a sudden they go stump-like, and they're stuck. In third world countries, this commentator writes, vermin sometimes would chew on sleeping lepers. Thus, Dr. Brand, after performing corrective surgery on a leper, would send a cat home with him as a normal post-operative procedure. Dr. Brand calls this disease a painless hell this is what this man was ha- dealing with the way the language that is used here it indicates to us that he's been suffering with this for many years he's mutilated from head to toe rotten odor was horrendous he was repulsive in every way See, a leper in this kind of advanced condition was fully aware there was no remedy. And if for some reason he had a lapse of memory, everyone around him would remind him of his hideous and awful situation. The rules stated for the lepers back in Leviticus chapter 13 says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept cover the lower part of their face, and then they have to walk around and cry out, unclean, unclean, coming through. And as long as they have this disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Think about this guy's humiliation, embarrassment, and isolation. Can you see yourself going to the H-E-B, or at the restaurant after church or Memorial City Mall, all tattered up, your clothes, your hair is crazy, like I do that already. You have to cover up your mask, which we're used to now. If that's not enough, then you have to yell through out as you walk through everywhere, unclean, unclean, unclean. You had to visibly and audibly warn the world about your condition. The smell would take care of itself. I wonder, could you do it? You had to get out, you had to get food, no one's gonna do it. Because during Jesus' time, they thought that God's law wasn't enough, so they started adding more laws to it. If a leper was like to stick his head in here right now, this entire place would be deemed unclean. It was illegal to even say hello to someone with leprosy. Lepers had to remain 100 cubits feet, 100 cubits away, which is about 150 feet away if you were upwind, and four cubits, which is six feet if downwind. Now I know where we got the six feet from. Under no circumstances were you allowed to touch them. Can't touch this. Can't touch this No, here's the thing. Everywhere he went, this. this song played. Everywhere he went, you can't touch this. You can't look that way. You can't even get near that person because then you would be unclean. So it was socially acceptable to push him away. Josephus, the historian, reports that leopards were treated as dead men. This man knew what was at stake. Despite his curse and his plight, he cried out to Jesus. He was saying to Jesus, you did it for so many other people, would you do it for me? Why not me? He knew that Jesus had the ability to heal him, but he wasn't sure if Jesus actually would. In verse 41, it says, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand, referring to Jesus, and he touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. This word pity gives us insight into the heart of God. It's not just he felt sorry for him, bless your heart kind of style. It means that he was moved at his core. It moved him to some level of compassion, an act of love. Another version says anger. This whole idea of righteous indignation, almost, and you see that before where he was driving out demons, it's a harsh word that is being used. I believe that Jesus is ticked off at the evil and the the sin and everything that's been hampered because of that as a result, but Jesus is moved and Jesus takes action. Jesus bucked the boundaries of his day in order to reveal himself, his power, his love, his plan, his authority, everything. And Jesus did the unthinkable. He had a conversation with the man. I wonder what it was, how that happened. Because scripture is telling us that Jesus is surrounded, bombarded with people. There's multitudes. And all of a sudden, somebody's coming in from the back. The song is playing, you can't touch this. And he's yelling, unclean, unclean coming through. Unclean, unclean. And people, I imagine, are creating space for him to come all the way to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't run. Jesus doesn't say, hey, stay six feet away. 150 feet away. He didn't do this. He lets him come all the way to him. And he has this encounter, he has a conversation. And then Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus touches this grody, old, dried up, highly infected person in his wounds. That touch represented so much. It was acceptance. It was love. It was restitution. It was forgiveness. Ultimately, it was healing. It was also the forgiveness of sins in just that touch. There's this beautiful image now of this desperate leper laying at the feet of Jesus and Jesus bending down and touching him. The intentionality of Jesus' touch is tangible in more than one way. Notice his power, his authority now over disease. When we are given power and authority in Matthew chapter 28, to go into all this world and preach, we're also given the same power to begin to pray healing over one another and to usher healing into this world and deliverance. In the word that Jesus uses, he says, I will. Nothing particular, speci- particularly special about this leper. It's Jesus saying, I will. I'm the one that does this. And immediately, the leprosy left him. That word immediately shows up again. And he was made clean. On the spot, leprosy leaves his body. I have no idea if he was missing chunks of an ear or a nose or what. But all of a sudden, baby smooth skin. Cleansed on the spot. The implications are vast now. The curse has been lifted. He's no longer in isolation. Who knows when was the last time he actually received affection from anyone. Except for Jesus in that moment. And now... He can receive an embrace from his family, from his loved ones. No longer is a song playing in the background. You can't touch this. He doesn't have to yell, I'm unclean, I'm clean. Yes, he has to go to the priest and present himself so he can say, yes, you're clean. That's an official formality at that point. But he could re-enter society. He could contribute in a new way. He can get a job. He doesn't have to go around begging. All because Jesus touched him. And it wasn't just this simple, like, boop, touch. It was an embrace. It was deliberate. It was firm. It was purposeful. And, you know, we could stop there and like, man, that was a cool story. And let's pray, and we could leave, maybe somewhat on time for the first time ever. But there's more to this story. So we can read the story at face value and, and skip over the undertones of this story that speak to and shape our souls. See, Jesus would always take the visible to teach us something invisible. And he would take our empirical senses. start at that point he says I want to show you something invisible I want to invite you to think deeper about yourself about this world about me so the stories about the blind the cripple the leper the unclean they're all mirrors to our human spirituality the condition of all of us see Jesus crossed and broke just about every ceremonial and cultural norm to bring healing and freedom to us Ultimately, he defeated death and sin and everything that was tainted by sin so that we could be in full relationship with him. See, spiritually, I was the guy in the closet sleeping, it was my stench that filled the room. didn't have a way of getting the stench off of me. It's so so easy in our lives to think those people. Oh yeah, them definitely. But I'm okay here. I don't stink. Nothing about me stinks. Not even when I go to the bathroom. Nothing stinks. That's how good it is. Actually, I go around saying clean, very clean. And I want people to see this. This is what I do. And I think our wealth, our comfort, our conveniences mask that because I got this. Remember, Jesus came for the sick. So if you say, hey, I'm good, then the story may not be for you. But the minute I realized that it was me that stank so bad, that reeked, there was nothing I could do about it led me to that place of desperation to actually cry out to Jesus in a way I never had before. And y'all, Jesus will show up. People would smell and gag and run away. Jesus didn't, never does. I came to the realization I needed help. And I said, Jesus, if you can, would you? He said I will I will let's pray Jesus we thank you that you love that you challenge you invite and you transform us Lord there's part of us all of us that we need this we need you Lord, I believe that only the sick sick need a healer. And that only the desperate will see a miracle. So Lord, may you grow desperation in us for you. In some fashion, would you grow it in us? And I wonder if you're sitting here this morning, you are desperate for something that only God can do, to work in the hearts of others, to change things, maybe bring about healing. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or to come forward or anything, but would you be bold enough? Would courage be born in you to level with God? God, would you do this? In my finances, in my health, in my mind, in my relationships, would you do it? be prepared for him to do something because he's going to transform you not just fix your situation he's going to do something in you he's going to reshape your life and if you're sitting here this morning and you know that the healer has reached down and touched you he's working on you thank him well i pray individually and and also corporately That in some fashion, you would prepare us to go outside of our camp and touch the untouchables. It may be different for some of us because of our experiences and our backgrounds. But give us compassion, give us pity, as the word says. A righteous indignation towards the sin in this world and to begin to see people as people. The way you viewed us, and you've come for us, to us. Some of you have been touched by the master and you're clean, but you're still ridden with guilt and shame and you're still saying to yourself, unclean, unclean. I pray for freedom from that lie in Jesus' name. We have a sense of his presence, and his love in you this morning. So thank you for going in great lengths to coming to us and reaching down and touching us in our time of need. your name we pray and ask all of this. so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.